Thanks for joining the podcast today. If you didn't already know, this podcast is based off of our YouTube channel. You can find the link in the description below. Be sure to subscribe. Also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know who you are and where you're watching from. We'd love to get to know you. We are a self-funded channel. We don't receive money from churches or ministries, and that allows us to continue to make content that pushes the borders of our faith. So if you enjoy what we do, consider giving to our Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help support this channel. You can find the link in the description below. Thanks again for joining us. We believe that by coming together, we can leave bad religion defenseless. Can you do life with someone who claims to love Jesus who can never get rid of that baggage? I'll give you two answers. The answer is you absolutely can because we all do it every single day. Every single Christian who's probably ever lived has done it. We're all carrying baggage to the grave, whether yeah. it's whether it's big baggage, little baggage, stuff people see, stuff people don't see. We're all carrying it. So you've already done it and you do it with yourself daily. You yeah. walk with yourself and your family and your children and your spouse, and we're all carrying baggage, whether you see it or not. So the the first answer is yes, you absolutely can walk through life with people carrying their baggage forever and never letting it go because we do it every single day, whether you realize it or not. The second answer is no. A lot of Christians can't and they refuse to. I'll ask this. This is tough for a lot of people. You're a pastor of a church. A couple comes to you. They're already married homosexual and they say hey we love jesus but we have no plans on getting divorced um we don't necessarily know how we feel about the biblical interpretation of homosexuality because i know there's a spectrum on that as well um we'd love to join your church we would love to serve in xyz capacity uh we would like to give our money here and our time here and volunteer and be a part of this faith community but this is who we are what do you do the obvious thing. <laughs> well, what, what does church do? Well. That's what I'm saying. How far are we willing to go? How far was Jesus willing to go? All the way, baby. I mean, Jesus, by all accounts, it seems like they took a naked lady off of a bed with another dude, drug her into the street, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. People are ruthless, man. Chill out, guys. Now... Here's, here's the fun part about that story. And I, I, I use this story all the time. Fun part of that story is legally they had every right to do what they did. Legally, they had every right to do what they did. Not only on Jewish customary law, biblically, they had every right to do what they were doing. Crazy Bible laws. Ripping her out of the bed, throwing her on the street, lining up a bunch of guys, probably there was a priest or two present, and stoning her. Till she bled to death. Dude, people are wild. We were just watching a scene from The Hunchback today. <laughs> I feel like we've talked about The Hunchback before. One of the best Disney We movies. just love it. And people were so mean to him. They were so mean. And and it's crazy how people will just turn on a dime. They, they're like all about you and then just, they're, they're going to throw things at you well, and laugh at you. I'm going to assume here. And, and there's no way I can't. So I just have to kind of assume here. I'm going to assume she was a, a woman of ill repute anyway. Esmeralda? No. Oh. <laughs> the, 
the Bible story. I thought we were still talking about Hunchback. You were the only one talking about Hunchback. <laughs> oh, I said Esmeralda. I'm going to assume the woman was a woman of ill repute anyway. This probably wasn't her first rodeo. Uh, this probably wasn't... Uh, she was probably known in the community for these types of things. Um, and then there was probably a snitch who's like, hey, she's over there doing this. And then they went and got her, right? Yeah. It was like a sting. Like, yeah. maybe they set her up. Who knows? I'm assuming. But my assumption is, if Jesus is saying you've had five other husbands, she's been around. Yeah. Right? Um, we don't know exactly how. It was enough for them to drag her into the street naked to stone her. Sure, sure, sure. So there's a high chance they bring this lady out. She's probably bloody because they probably drug her by the hair. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not being People gentle with ruthless, her. They're not bro. being gentle with her. I mean, they're going to kill her anyway. Like she's a piece of meat at this point. Yeah. Right? So they're ready just to customarily and biblically, they had all right to do what they were about to do. Think of this. Jesus, as the claimer to be the son of God, steps in and says, hey, I know what you think God said is this. Pause. It's not. Stop. We're not talking about drinking. We're not talking about cheating. We're not talking about not paying your taxes. We're talking about sexual immorality the thing that the church seems to harp on more than anything else these days jesus steps in and says pause she doesn't deserve this or maybe she does deserve this but i'm gonna step in and say no and then what does he do the same thing paul does in first corinthians 5 9 through 13 he levels the playing field and says okay cool you want to start stoning people you without sin start throwing stones and they, what are they going to do? None of them. Because I'll tell you what would have happened had somebody thrown it. Jesus God probably did. would have called them out for their sin <laughs> and lined them up on the wall with her. <laughs> right? Like, that's what was, that's what the, that's what he was setting up. Yeah. All right. You guys want to throw stones? Who's going to get on the wall with her? That's what was coming. No, bro. They were probably scared to drop dead. Sure. Well, I think at that point in Jesus' ministry, I think his uh, divinity was still up for question, especially among the religious elite. But I think what he said was more important than who he was to them in that moment. And what sure. he said, even the playing ground. What he didn't do was say she was not sexually immoral. That seems yeah. pretty obvious. I mean, he actually goes on to say that. You've had five husbands. Okay. They walk away, they drop their stones, they're done. She's probably still laying there naked, bloodied up, crying in the dirt. And Jesus walks over and be like, hey, like you should probably stop that. <laughs> like, just don't do that anymore. You know? <laughs> and he sends her on her way. Yeah. Didn't beat her up, didn't shame her. Listen, watch what Jesus says. There's no condemnation in his voice. Yeah. There's no guilt or shame put on to her. He says what she did, almost like he was reading a court docket. Uh, Sir, you're in here today because you ran a red light going, you know, he read her court docket and then said, just stop doing that, please. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. They yeah. want to kill you for it, which is obviously not healthy for you. Um, how about I just say, this one's on me. Here's your jail. Get out of jail free card. Stop doing that. Not because you're a horrible person, because you're better than that. Yeah. Go 
and sin no more. A lot of people think he is condemning her in that statement. He's absolutely not. He's he's releasing her before he even talks about sin. Go and sin no more. He's saying just go and be better. Just yeah. don't don't do this anymore. Yeah. Is that how we view people outside of our evangelical bubble who have different sexual God, no. moral values than we have? No. Would your pastor stand up for a homosexual who's about to get stoned out in the street? Not the ones I had in my experience. Not mine. Now, I understand our pastors are not Jesus. Please, under I get that. Sure, However, sure. that's the goal, right? We're all yeah. trying to strive to be like him. I think about like all the days I was like into Bethel and like all the like the supernatural and the yeah. <laughs> like I grew up on all that and I was really into it for a while. And now I just can't stand most of it. Not saying they're bad people. I just can't stand most of it. We spend so much time in these spaces like, oh, like we can walk on water like Jesus. We can <laughs> we can make uh, somebody's leg grow out. We can walk on the streets and 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 watch homeless people get sick. We can do all these things like miracles and miracles and, and the wonders of God. <laughs> and I'm just like, we can't even love gay people. <laughs> and you're talking about walking on water? Yeah, no wonder. What are we talking about here? Our priority is in the wrong dang place. That's what I think, you know? Yeah. We want gold dust to fall from the ceilings. Okay. <laughs> but you can't love this person, right? Oh, we want God to bless our finances. Ugh. But you can't love this type of person. Yeah. I, Man, I don't want to do it, but you started it. The Hunchback movie. I knew it. <laughs> She's literally, so she gets, man, if you guys have not watched The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney movie, it. go watch it's it. It's been a while for us. It's so good. Uh, but there's this scene where she stands up for Quasimodo when he's like about to like get like they're just mis Stoned. mistreating and they're not stoning him, but they're <laughs> no, mistreating him. She steps up because it was the guards who were doing it too, like yeah. the uh, the French guards. I guess they're a king's guard at that point. Um, this this story takes place in like the 1480s or 1490s. No, I looked it up, but anyway, um, she steps up for him. Uh, the the bad guy Count Frollo who like runs the the just, military and yeah. the police. He uh, he's like, oh, attack her, kill her, bring her to me, like whatever. And then so she runs into Notre Dame, which I've been to, uh, <laughs> for sanctuary because back then you could run into a church as a criminal. I mean, I and, think that's still a thing. Sanctuary is still a thing. Yeah, I don't know how much it's still a thing, but I think conceptually well, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, a yeah. thing. But anyway, uh, I know different topic. There are sanctuary churches that take in immigrants right now. Yeah, yeah. And so they can't be deported, but. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. She runs into Notre Dame and they the the you know the the priest gives her sanctuary. This is before she knows Quasimodo lives up there. Yeah. And she starts singing her song. It's Demi Moore, by the way. I don't know if Demi actually sings <laughs> that or it. if they had a different voice. But so she's walking in there and she's singing about like just loving people or like, God, can you help the homeless? God, can you help those who need yeah. help? She's basically like, I don't need anything, yeah. but there's so many people who need I things. don't need anything, but there's so many people who need but in the juxtaposition, there is all the church people inside of the church singing, God, give me glory. God, mm -hmm. give me money. Give me wealth. Give me Dude. fame. And she, the gypsy who doesn't even believe in God, is singing to God about just help people, please. Yes. Man, that's such a good juxtaposition. Uh, Go watch that movie, everybody. Hunchback <laughs> is so good. Uh, but I think I think a lot of ways it's the same thing today. Like... We want to sing these songs and we write, I mean, the, the Christian worship space is a multi-billion dollar industry at this point. 
And we put all this effort into the production, into the music, into the pastoral staff, into our churches, into our connect, grow, serve, and our live streams and our podcasts. We do all this stuff as a church, right? But then we still have a hard time loving people. Bro, I say this all the time. We are selfish. And we've made it that it all about us. Like so many different parts of our life. I think people are like can do good things. I don't think like everyone's like totally self-centered all the time, but I think like deep down kind of like subconsciously so many people are just selfish. And I I'll say this. I think everybody to an extent is selfish. I don't think, and this is where my critique for the church comes, I don't think everybody's entitled. And I think the church is entitled. I think we're all a little selfish. Sure, sure, right? sure, sure. But I think the church is entitled because we speak for God. And God, we follow the creator of the universe. And our daddy, God loves us. But look at those sinners over there. And I don't think anybody would talk like that. But when the rubber meets the road, are you sticking your neck out for those people? No, most Christians aren't. Are you basing your church programs for those people? No, most churches aren't. Yeah, we were we were talking about a church that like they wanted to kick out the homeless people that were coming for free food. For the donuts that were in the lobby in the morning, people were upset and didn't want to like come to church anymore they because they felt unsafe. Right? Who you're not supposed to feel safe. Yeah. That's like, and just because someone doesn't have a house doesn't mean they are not safe. That's entitlement. Yes. Sure. Being selfish is seeing like, oh, there's one donut left. I think I'm going to go snag it before anybody else does. We're all a little selfish. <laughs> we all want the donut. Sure. Uh, being entitled to saying, this is my church and I deserve that donut and these people don't. Or I deserve mercy or I deserve grace or I deserve whatever that God has for me, but these people don't. That's entitlement. Yeah. And you won't see that from Jesus. You, no. In fact, Jesus being... There's a lot of argument whether Jesus believed he was divine or not. Um, by by divine, I mean, was he God? Oh, okay. uh, there's a lot. There's whole books written on did Jesus believe he was God? Um, well, he obviously, he, he believed he was God. the son of God, but no less than you or I. Sure. So there's a lot of now you're getting into like the minutia <laughs> of theology here. And in yeah, a lot yeah. of ways, it doesn't matter. Um so you have to kind of ask yourself when we talk about Jesus' divinity, like obviously he believed he was the son of God, whether you believe he believed he was God or not. That's it's neither here nor there. But he I can't look it up for me really fast. It says that Jesus d denied his own div divinity. I can't remember the verse. It's somewhere in the New Testament. But even Jesus laid down his entitlement. Right. If Jesus is the only human on the planet at that point who knows he's the son of God. And he lays it down and says, hey, I'm going to stick my neck out for the sexual immoral, for the sinners, for the tax collectors. I mean, he does it repeatedly over and over again. Did you find it? No, not yet. Okay. It's not that big of a deal if you can't yeah, find it. Yeah, it just said, basically it says he never says in anywhere. No, there's a verse where it says that Jesus like laid down his own divinity or something like that or d denied his. I can't remember, but I'll have to find yeah. it later. Um. But yeah, so if there's one human on the planet who deserved to be quote unquote entitled, I think it would be Jesus. And he never acted entitled. Never. He laid it down. In fact, he was constantly putting himself lower than the people he was spending time with. That doesn't sound like entitlement to me. That just sounds like loving people. 
I know we've kind of rabbit trailed off of this. <laughs> I just want to take that idea of Jesus was not scared of sexually immoral people. And then, but here's the pushback. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because we need a whole separate episode on it. But I know people are gonna be like, oh, but homosexuals, they're an abomination. Stop Ew. it. You don't know your Bible. You're out of context. You don't yeah. understand what Paul's talking about. You don't understand the Old Testament versus New Testament. There's so much to that argument and conversation. I wish I could just scream from the rooftops because you don't know what you're talking about. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. I don't care what packages it comes in. Now, this is going to freak a lot of people out. Whether you believe homosexuality is a sin, whether you believe uh, sex outside of marriage is a sin, whether you believe having uh, multiple sexual partners was a sin. Uh, Abraham, uh, a lot of people in the Old Testament had multiple wives. But anyway, um, whether you believe pedophilia is a sin, regardless of... Anything that we're talking about where you sin through the avenue of sexual, um, uh, I don't know, release, I guess you could say, that is under the blanket of sexual immorality. Yeah, I was going to ask you what the definition of that word is, or like in the Bible versus, I guess, that is not. That is, I don't want to spend too much time there. It's, it is. I don't want to say it's debatable, but it's not as cut and dry as people sure, think sure. it is. Okay, for instance, can I go right now, between you and I, can I go get a second wife? <laughs> no. Okay, what if I told you that biblically there's a precedent for it? Biblically gonna But I'm punch being realistic. Realistic. Like as as a Bible believer. There's not. Yeah, there absolutely <laughs> is. I could go back in the Old Testament and show you all of the fathers of the Old Testament who had multiple wives Whoa. and God had no issue with it. I can also show you through the, the, the evolution of the Bible that that was never addressed in the new covenant. There's nothing in the new covenant that says you can't do that. I'm pretty sure it's against the law of the land. Our land, right. America. What if we're in another country? You get what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. The idea of sexual immorality is, I don't want to use fluid as a word, but it is it is up for discussion because there are yeah. so many things. For instance, if I, as a 30-something right now, wasn't married to you and I decided to marry a 14-year-old, I would go to jail. Yeah. You know what happened during Jesus' time? They'd get married. And in other countries. Because... The age of consent isn't what we think it is today. Yeah, yeah, sure. So your sure, sure, sexual sure. morality today doesn't necessarily reflect what it was. Now, I do think culturally speaking, we do have to take into account what's happening in our culture and our society. But you're asking about sexual morality and how the Bible feels about it. I'm telling you it's on a spectrum. I would agree. It's not as cut and dry as everybody wants to make it out to be. Yeah. Old Testament says if you get out of line... I own you. <laughs> I, culturally, I don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't abide by those rules. Yeah. But we look at, uh, say, Muslims in other countries who still do that, and we're like, oh, it's barbaric. Okay. Sure. Well, then so is your Bible. Yeah. 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 It's, it is cultural context plays a ton. And I'll hit it for a second. I don't even care. Especially when Paul is talking about in the New Covenant. When we're, <laughs> Here's my understanding. And I'm not an expert on this. I've studied what I feel like I need to study. And I feel like I have a good grasp on it, but I know I am an expert. So I'm more than open for anybody to push back and have a healthy debate about this. Here's what I've found in regards to homosexuality in the Bible. 
Every time Paul mentions homosexuality in the Bible, it is always, always, always attached to pagan rituals and idolatry. It is never singled out to be its own thing. Sure. Ever. Ever. You will not find it. Sure. Even back in the Old Testament, when they talk about it, they mention it in regards to because this is what the pagans do when they sacrifice to their gods. This is how the pagans act when they sacrifice to their gods. There's plenty of occasions where that happens all throughout scripture, but homosexuality in and of itself was never specifically talked about in a bubble saying this specifically right here in a bubble is what I'm talking about. It was always attached to pagan rituals and idols and idolatry. Sure. So what do we do with that information? I don't know, but I know it's not what you're, what people are telling me it is. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So when they're saying it's an abomination, he's not talking about the act of two people of the same gender having physical relations with each other or being in love with each other. He's talking about the idolatrous practices that came with that. Now, does that mean that the homosexual relationship was how God designed it? I don't know. It seems to kind of buck against the idea of procreation and be fruitful and multiply. But does that mean it's a sin? Because if you're barren and you can't have kids, are you sinning? Because you can't be fruitful and multiply. Uh, What if I just, like Paul, decided to be abstinent for my, you know, for... Right. Then he's not being (laughs) fruitful. You know what I'm saying? So now we're just in this, this mess of like, what does he even mean? What I found is you got to figure this out for yourself. And for me, I personally don't have an inclination to the same sex. I just don't. It's not something I struggle with. I never have. But I also don't look down on people who have or who do. Well, not a struggle. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't deal with the concept of being attracted to the same sex. It's just, it's not even, you know, trying to think like, I hate cucumbers. (laughs) I don't, I don't deal with like, Every time I walk past that cucumber or, you know, in the fridge, I I just, I got to have a cucumber like a donut. (laughs) It's not like that for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the same thing to me. But why is it, why would I become the moral police for somebody who do, who does like cucumbers? That's stupid. Maybe that's the wrong, that's the wrong analogy to use, but you get what I'm saying. (laughs) It's, I think it has to be a personal decision. And then I go back to, to first Corinthians five, verse nine through 13. Who are you to judge people on the outside? Now, where it gets a little tricky is, like I said, people come in to your space and say, well, I am homosexual or I am transgender or I am name the spectrum of things. What do you do with that? And how do you deal with that? Um, To me, it still lands me in the same boat. It's I don't believe it's for me to judge. I think I think you and Jesus got to work that out. I also think it's silly, and maybe I'm just being obtuse here, but I think it's silly to think that our bodies within 100 years are going to be rotting in a grave, and any genitalia that you or I have will be worm food, but yet what we decide to do with it amongst a partner that we love is going to determine where we spend the rest of eternity. <laughs> Makes sense. Your body's a temple. It's going to rot. Is it a temple when it's rotting? Dude, eat that bag of Doritos. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Be overweight and get McDonald's every every morning. Yeah, how hypocritical. Right. How much is your body a temple? temple? Right. And I mean, I have my we're all a little hypocritical because technically, I guess we all have free radicals and plastic in our blood now because we live in 2023. Red dye 40. Right. So we're all dying technically. and <laughs> But you get what I'm saying? Like... Come on, guys. Yeah, it's not Your fair. body's a temple. Don't put your... Don't tattoo... Come on. I like the meme that's like, your body's a temple. Don't put tattoos or any artwork on it. And then it's like the real temple. And it shows like Catholic churches, and like stained glass windows. <laughs> yeah, and like, baby. Like these things are so elaborate. Artistic, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Um, well, that's neither here nor there with tattoos. But I guess what I'm saying is for you in your personal life, if you... I'm being completely hypothetical here. And I actually have known a couple people like this. Um, if you, through all your study of scripture, real study, not just like, oh, I heard a pastor say, like real deep study, land at you don't believe that it is God's will for you to be homosexual, transgender, anything on that spectrum that seems to be outside of the cultural norm for Christians today. Um and it's something that you deal with internally, but you, maybe you feel that way. I think you have to make that decision and figure out how you're going to walk through that. Um, and I don't think there's any problem with that. Any way you slice it, I think you have to figure that out. I think it is wildly inappropriate and entitled of me to try to step in your life uh, unsolicited and tell you. Oh, God, if you do that, God's going to hate you and you're an abomination. Yeah. Gross. Stop that. Swindlers, verbally abusive people, <laughs> you know, like we wouldn't do that. Yeah. And so I just think it's, I think it's something that individuals have to choose on their own. And I know that's probably freaking a lot of Christians out right now who are listening to this podcast because we, let's be honest, guys. If the whole motivation we're trying to eliminate gay people from the cultural spotlight is because you're afraid they're going to turn your kids <laughs> gay. That's a lot of people's arguments oh, yeah, these days. A, you're living in fear. And you're not called to live in fear. Yeah. Uh, B, do we not, I mean, do you not claim to serve the God of the universe? Like, do, do you, do you, are you really afraid of everybody else's personal decisions so much because there's no power on your end? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like at some point it just, to me, it becomes dissonance. At some point it doesn't even make sense anymore. Yep. So I know that's tough for a lot of Christians. I just, what's the point here? We are going to spend, and from my experience and anybody correct me if I'm wrong, you can't turn me gay. I can't turn you straight. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can do that? <laughs> Who's, who has that power? Yeah. Like, they're going to turn our kids gay. How? I've never met anyone who's like, uh, I met Dan last week and he just turned me gay. Like, it just, <laughs> just happened. I've never met anybody who said they were turned gay. What do you mean? <laughs> and, and I know what they're saying. They're like, oh, well, they're going to expose them to it. So, listen, if the inclination's in there, it's going to be in there. If it's yeah. not, it's not. No movie's going to do it. Yeah. No teacher's going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. no one's turning anyone gay. I've yet to meet anyone who thinks that's even a possibility. 
Yeah. And so if we're just talking about exposure, then what are we saying? So we, as Christians, we just bury our heads in the sand and pretend like other sexual I realities mean, don't exist. Other religions that's don't exactly exist. What other they political do. ideals. But that's not real life. No, but that's they love that. And that's not how Jesus functioned or operated. He stepped into sinners' houses. Didn't pretend they didn't exist. You know what I'm saying? Like, none of it makes sense. If Are we talking about Jesus or are we talking about Christianity? Because I feel like they're two separate things they're now. They're 100% different. I, I just, I don't know where to go from here. Because it's <laughs> like, I feel like, what's the Will Ferrell? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> like, I look at Christianity and I look at Jesus. I'm like, we're not even talking the same language here anymore. Yeah. Love people, man. Let God figure out the rest. And if, and if they do something illegal, let the police take care of it, you yeah. know, like, cause that's why we have laws. That's yeah. why we have governments. That's why God ordained governments. But as far as like what people do in their bedrooms behind closed doors, consenting yeah. adults, I, I gotta let Jesus deal with that one. I'm not scared of my kids turning gay. I'm not scared <laughs> of my kids knowing we have gay friends. It doesn't bother me. In fact, I actually crazy dad over here think it's healthy for them to know that other people with different ideas exist because they need to learn to love those people too. Yeah. And they need to normalize sitting at dinner tables with those people too. Yeah. Just like, you know who else did that? Jesus did that. <laughs> Jesus normalized sitting at dinner tables with people that the religious would never have normalized. Yeah. So are we talking about Christianity? Or are we <laughs> talking about Jesus? Cause they seem like they're two different things here. Any other thoughts on that? I do want to hit one more thing before we kind of bring it to a close. No, no. I know you can read my notes here. I don't know if you've already read them all the way. Um, I was going to ask you a question, but you're kind of like looking at the cheat oh, sheet. Oh, just ask me. <laughs> um, so sexuality in the conservative Christian, I guess this is nothing new. I mean, you can go pretty much really far back into Christianity, like hundreds and thousands of years, and see that sex has a very negative connotation to it. Um, I was going to ask you any idea why, but I feel like you've already read oh. the notes. So. I wouldn't know why. <laughs> uh, it's probably a couple years ago. I wouldn't know why. Right, right. It's probably <laughs> a couple of years ago. That, and I actually only pulled this up off a video I did two, about two maybe longer years. Um, it was my video on Calvinism, I believe. And I think it has like a house of cards or something on the thumbnail. So if you guys are listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube one. or whatever, go back and look. I haven't posted it on TikTok. It's pretty long and it didn't feel good to chop up. Um, it's a longer video, but I do think it's really good. It's hyper informational. It's just talking about Calvinism and Calvinist and reform theology and what they believed. Um, so go back and check that out. But I did this deep dive into Calvinism and total depravity because that's one of their uh, tulip. Tea. It's the tea in tulip. For, well, they're like core beliefs, if you don't know what that is. Right. Uh, T-U-L-I-P. So five. They have five core beliefs, the tulip, and each letter stands for something. The T stands for total depravity. Um, so Martin Luther is like obviously a big person in the... Um, he brought about the split from the Catholic Church, you know, the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. The reason we're all not all Catholics today was largely in part to Martin Luther and him nailing up 95 reasons why the church is bad and wrong. Uh, Can I do that? <laughs> I mean, you could, I don't know if you get away with it, but um, so anyway, the, the reform theology um, partly came from Martin Luther. There's 
there's not one father of like Calvinism. Um, I mean, John Calvin, obviously, but John Calvin even shouldn't be credited with all these ideas because a lot of it came from like, uh, it's either St. Augustine or St. Augustine, uh, depending on how you want to say it or how proper you want to sound. A lot of a lot of Calvinism that John Calvin had came from Augustine. So it's hard to say it's like all John Calvin. He he did have his own ideas, but he also was a curator of ideas, if you will, sure. and kind of put it all together. But anyway, so I'm just going to read off some of my notes here from the actual video, just so we can get a good idea of uh, why we think sexuality is in the state it is in today, at least in, especially in America, American Christianity. Um, so total depravity, and I, I am absolutely... Um, breaking this down into layman's terms and trying to condense it as much as possible. So I'm going to give you the definition of total depravity here. Do not be shocked if you look up total depravity and there's like a two paragraph <laughs> definition. I'm not going to give you that one, but I'm trying to just give us the, uh, the nuts and bolts of it. So we understand total depravity is basically the concept that says everyone is born with original sin. You're familiar with the idea of original sin. Like you're a sinner. The or you mean like born. Adam and Eve? Well, that too. Okay. Uh, just so you're born a, a sinner. The breakdown is Adam and Eve fell in, fell in the garden. They, they sinned. So every seed that came from their body, every human that came through us. the line of Adam and Eve, which we believe is all of us, is born with a sinful nature. Sin in us right, right, right. through Adam, through the fall. Right. right? That's the big thing Original that Jesus sin. is uh, fixing. Jesus is reversing the clock, going back to the garden and saying, nope, we're going to get rid of that. Now we can all be born again. That's the whole idea yeah. of being born again. So you're not born into sin, but you're born into the spirit, right? That's, yeah. Okay. Uh, a little liner note here for people who are like kind of interested in theology. Theology is always an effort to answer or to solve a problem inside of Christianity. Why are people bad? Right? Here's the, the, here's yeah. the blanket question. Okay, let's think about it. Well, Adam and Eve were bad, and then they had kids, so that's why we're bad. There's total depravity. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Theology, a lot of times, is us trying to solve a problem. We can get a little narrow-minded with that, which we'll see here in a second. But if anybody's wondering like how all this plays out, it's because theologians, philosophers ask themselves these big, heavy questions. Well, why are people bad? And then they have to backtrack and figure out and try to answer these questions, even though they can do so narrow-mindedly or blindsidedly sometimes. So sure. total depravity is the concept that says everyone who is born is born into original sin. Past Adam and Eve. Uh, because Adam and Eve fell, sin was passed down to every human born. Uh, this idea says that all humans are installed with a sinful heart from birth. And we as humans have no power over it, no self-control, no free will, and no ability to overcome it. Now, that might sound a little weird to you sure. when I'm saying no free will, no power. This is the Calvinist. This is the reformed idea that we actually don't have free will, that we are predestined to do the things we do. Um, some people would say that leans into like what they would call like devil predestination. I don't want to get into that because there's, there's weeds <laughs> in that. But basically, um, we are who we are. We are sinners at the core of our being, and it's Jesus and Jesus alone that pulls us out of that sinful nature uh, because of who he was, not because of who we are. But we actually have no ability to conquer our sin, right? Even though in Genesis, uh, I believe God shows up to Abel or Cain. I can't remember which one. and says, uh, sin is knocking at your door, and it is uh, up to you to overcome it. 
just want to throw that out there. That's in Genesis, by the way. Like the first couple, <laughs> first page. Yeah, a couple couple years into the story. Just just throwing that out there for the Calvinists out there. You know, God did say that uh, sin is knocking at one of the first humans' door, and it was His job to overcome it. But that's pre-Jesus, you know, post-fall. But we can deal with that theological point later. Um. So, oh yeah, and then I said, uh, if you remember in our last video, talking about the video that I was currently doing, uh, St. Augustine, or St. Augustine, however you want to say it, uh, was the originator of this concept. So not truly a Calvin concept. Calvin pulled it from Augustine and um, tweaked it a bit, I guess you could say. Sure. Here's the rub, and this is what I think might freak a lot of people out. Augustine struggled with sexual sin a lot before he became a Christian and seemed to still struggle with it uh, after his conversion into Christianity. That is so vague. What is the sexual sin? So there's actually a lot of books and writings on this, and there's a lot of debate on what that sexual sin was. Mm. And I don't want to get into that because I feel like it would be speculation. But he himself, Augustine, actually has, I don't know if I'd call them memoirs, but like papers and notes that have been collected over the years sure. of him struggling with kind of like how Paul talks about the thorn in his side. Sure. That's how Augustine okay. talked about it. So people speculate, but we don't know exactly what it was, sure. but we do know through his writings, through his teachings, he struggled with it yeah. quite a lot, even well after his conversion. Um, oh, here we go. We can see this in the work in his work called city of God. So if you want to find that book city of God, it's on Amazon. I guess I posted a link in that video. Um, so if, like Christina, you're interested to find out more about Augustine's <laughs> sexual temptations. Uh, the book City of God <laughs> is for you. Uh, Augustine said that original sin is actually passed down to all of us. Here's the kicker through sexual contact. So where most of us would think, okay, Adam and Eve, they took on sin into their mortal bodies. Then they had a baby. So genetically, or however you want to say it, um, they pass down the sin trait or the sin gene or however you, that's how I feel like most of us would think about it. Not Augustine. Augustine said it was actually sex. The fact that they had sex was the reason that sin could enter in. It wasn't the sin that Adam and Eve were carrying. It was the sex that they had to have a baby that passed down the sin well, now what did the how did the baby get it from touching the genitals no just the idea that the it act was of made sex, from sex the act of sex in and of itself was sinful oh. so that's why that that's the okay so now think about this it's genius and psychotic at the same time <laughs> who didn't who's the only human in all of biblical history who didn't have to have sex to be to be born jesus oh and he was sinless uh, yeah <laughs> I'm not saying I agree with Augustine. Yeah. I'm saying you see the thread backwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus was sinless and Mary was a virgin. That means Mary didn't have to have sex to conceive. That means sex was the only reason that Jesus was sinless. Yeesh. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a re it's like a reverse, uh, what do they call it? Like reverse engineering. That's what theologically they're trying to reverse engineer what's happening. <laughs> but doing so with a predisposition of, I hate sex because I struggle with it as St. Augustine dramatically. So now I'm going to work. That is going to be the filter in which I see the gospel through. Yeah, so that. Jesus wasn't born of sex. That must mean that sex was the thing that, that made makes everyone else. sinful. Yeah. 
It's kind of crazy and kind of like I could see why people could buy into it. Yeah. Especially people in a time where most of them weren't literate. Yeah. Right. So. uh, So in my notes, I said, remember, Augustine struggled with his sexuality. And because of his struggle, he believed that sex was evil. So to say in the simplest way possible, because your parents engaged in sexual activity to conceive you, the act of sex by which you were created is why. You were born sinful. Now, once again, not my opinion. This is just how Augustine saw things. Sure. Uh, this is clever because it can be used to explain how Jesus came uh, to us sinless because he was born without sexual interaction between two humans. This now gives the virgin birth another layer of significance in the Calvinistic view or the Augustinian view, I guess. And then Calvin picked it up later. Sure. Um, as you can tell, Augustine clearly did not have a high view of sex and definitely did not see it as a gift from God. Even in the context of marriage, even though your by, by Calvin and Augustine's concept, even though your parents could have uh, been virgins before they got married, then they got married and then they had sex in a God-ordained marriage and had you still the act of sex in their God-ordained marriage, even though they may have never had sex outside of that marriage bed, was still the reason you were sinful because sex is what created you. This is how Augustine and Calvin thought. And a lot, and a lot of people are in this belief system. Well, it kind of... like what I mean. Right. kind of crushes the whole purity culture thing, doesn't it? Sure. Kind of makes the whole be fruitful and multiply thing weird if it's sin. Yeah. I mean, it helps make it that more taboo factor that it is. Augustine was going through some stuff, (laughs) and I don't think people realize how much he was going through. And it's crazy to me that he's considered one of the fathers of modern theology. And then, like I said, John Calvin piggybacked off of him and then created the tulip uh, and the whole Calvinism reform concept. Uh, Remember how we talked in the last video about how our personal life experiences uh, can subconsciously put a filter on God and scripture? Oh, I don't remember. Kind of remember. This is a clear example of that. Uh, Augustine was having his own personal issues and then he ran God and theology through that filter. That'd be another good one to readdress. Right. Like viewing things through our own filter. Right. So this is where the concept of total depravity uh, was birthed from. Uh, It is worth noting that even the modern day church at large still treats sexuality as a taboo subject. Many churches and pastors are afraid to have open conversations about sex because it has been made shameful rather than teaching how sex is a gift from God uh, that two married people should enjoy. There's no doubt in my mind that this modern day taboo absolutely has its roots in total depravity, Calvinism and St. Augustine. Sure. I here's my uh, call it a thesis if you want to. I think the reason the evangelical world is so scared of sexuality is because we've adopted some of this broken theology from people who died a thousand years ago and were struggling with their own junk. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it seems very counterintuitive to say, and I would I'm assuming most evangelicals would say this: sex is a gift from God. Wait till you're married to have sex. It's a gift from God. But then at the same time, feel very dirty about having conversations openly about sex in church. Have you ever heard an open conversation about sex in church from a pulpit? No, no, I don't think so. Why not? If it's a gift from God, shouldn't it? Shouldn't we be talking about it? Yeah. You know, uh, 
And I think a lot of it comes from that taboo from, uh, you know, from Augustine, from Calvinism. And it's crazy. People who aren't even Calvinist carry around some of that Calvinist yuck in them. And they don't even know it. They don't even know what they're carrying around. Um, so that was just more of a little bit of history and the backstory of like, why maybe we carry some of this in. So just to kind of tie a nice little bow on it, I think we don't fully understand what sex means inside the Bible. I don't think we fully understand, uh, sexual immorality and how we're supposed to view it and how we're supposed to treat people outside of our playing field, even when it comes to sexual immorality. And I don't even think we know why we feel the way inside of Christianity about a lot of things when it comes to sex, Sure. whether it's, I mean, all things, sex before marriage, um, you know, homosexuality, gender norms, all that stuff. I think there's so many things we're so scared to unwrap um, because it has a taboo around it. Uh, and I think we're scared. I, I don't know anywhere in scripture where Jesus tells us to be scared of sin or sinful people. I haven't found it yet. Yeah. It seems pretty counterintuitive to the person he was, right? He sits with sinners. He hangs out with the worst of us. I, I can't fully with confidence say, and he didn't even want to change us, but I think of how he wanted to change us was totally different than how the church wanted to change us. Yeah. I think Jesus would sit next to a sinner and say, just my presence being here and loving on people, I believe has a positive impact and I, and I believe it can shift their lives if they'll receive it. Right. Cause Jesus was a gentleman. He didn't force <laughs> any himself on anybody. He was a total gentleman, spiritually speaking. Um, and so I think he believed the best answer was to love people fully, introduce them to that love, and then let them make choices past that. And then also be a resource if they, if they wanted a resource. Um, but he didn't beat people over the head with morality. You will not find it uh-uh. anywhere. He did have quite a few things to say to the religious people who did those kind of things. Um, but Jesus is, I mean, think about it, man. He's so much more gentle with the sinners than he is with the religious. Does that not like strike anybody as weird? Uh, like people think about like, oh, like, you know, acting like Jesus, you know, uh, taking a whip and flipping tables. That's always at the realm of possibilities. Yeah. For religious people. Who do you think he was whipping? Yeah. Read Matthew 23. Woe to you. Who? He's not saying woe to you sinners. He's yeah. not saying woe to you tax collectors or prostitutes or sexual yeah. immoral. Woe to you pastors and priests and uh, religious leaders because you are oppressing and killing people. Why? Because they weren't willing to sit at tables with people who were going through life. Yeah. And I think obviously sex is just one piece of that puzzle. Uh, but I think it's an important part. Why is it important? Why is it important that we talk about sex? Because I would venture to say, and don't quote me on this, most people have sex, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Uh, whether you're gay, straight, trans, right? I, I would yeah. imagine that the minority is people who just don't engage in any ex- sexual activity. Sure. I'm not saying those people don't exist, but I, I would assume they're the, yeah. the, the minority. In some way or another, almost all of us engage in sexual activity. Why is it important that we as Christians or 
people of Jesus talk about sexuality? Oh, I don't know, because we all deal with it. <laughs> like, doesn't that seem kind of important? Yeah. We all eat food. We right. all drink water. Yeah. Can you imagine if we just didn't talk about food? Like if Christians just food was taboo, we just never talked about it. We, like, it'd be so weird. Like we all just eat in private and like we don't talk about it. And like, it'd just be so weird. Yeah, yeah. Sex is just as normal as food. Yeah. And I think it was created that way. I mean, literally God created two people. How else do you get more people? <laughs> that had to have been a very normal process yeah, yeah. and has been a very normal process Natural, for yeah. thousands of years. Um, and I, I guess I'll just dive into it. Like, it's it's not it it shouldn't be a shocker that like it's pleasurable for people, right? Yeah. Like so he created something that is very normal, but we also all really enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Like we can enjoy it. So it's just so I think it comes back to that idea. It's like that we're not like like people who follow Jesus, like I think about the monks, like in, I think it's like the fifth century or something, they would flog themselves and like beat themselves until mm -hmm. they bled. Because they believed uh, enjoying any pleasure in life was sinful. Oh. Food, obviously sex, anything. Yeah. They would literally, they would wear burlap to make themselves uncomfortable because they didn't believe, they believed being uncomfortable and being hurt and in pain brought them closer to Jesus. Now, obviously we don't do that today, yeah. but I think there's something like instilled inside of Christianity. That's like, you're not allowed to like be happy or enjoy this, you know, but I think it's totally the opposite. Like from a natural, like just way of thinking about life. Like if God created us and he gave us the ability to create more of us and the means in which we do that is pleasurable and fun and free. <laughs> like, maybe we should have a higher opinion of this thing, sure. you know? Um, and maybe we shouldn't beat up other people who experience it in different ways than we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have all the answers. You know, sexual Christianity is not something that I've um, super sunk my teeth into. Uh, but I do think it's important that we have open conversations and I do think it's important we take the stigma away from it. And I do think it's important that we teach our kids yeah. about sexuality in a healthy way other than just saying any sexual thoughts you have before marriage is sinful and you're going to hell. You are. <laughs> oh, we will ruin our children. And we have been ruining continue our children. To, yeah, struggle. Just biologically. Your 17 year old son or daughter biologically is built to have sexual thoughts <laughs> can, can we acknowledge this they're not dirty for having sexual thoughts it is literally what their hormones and the chemicals inside of their body sure. are screaming you're old enough we can make babies let's <laughs> do yeah. that that's that's what their bodies are saying now, obviously, we need to direct that in healthy avenues. But why would we shame our children? Something natural, normal. For, yeah. That's natural. Can we normalize that that's natural? So when we're in youth group and we're teaching our 17, 15, 16-year-olds that it's unnatural and sinful to have sexual thoughts, you're setting them up to fail. Yeah. Now they're just going to feel like garbage when they go home. Yeah. Why? Because you shamed something and made something dirty that God made good. Yeah. Sex outside of marriage may not be productive. And for a lot of Christians, it's it's not uh, it is sinful. And that's fine. I have no and issue harmful, with that yeah. and, and harmful. I have no issue with that at all. 
But that's the physical act of having sex outside of marriage. It says nothing about what your body is doing in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And by all means, your body is doing things in the meantime, right? Uh, This is why when girls turn 16, their bodies start to change. This is why when boys turn 16, they start to notice that girls' bodies are changing. Why? Because at some point in human history, that's what was needed to make two people come together to create more people. This is very natural Mm -hmm. stuff. Once again, I'm not saying we should just let our 16-year-olds start having sex whenever they want to. What I'm saying is we shouldn't be shaming them, punishing them, and making them feel like God thinks they're disgusting because these they have these natural inclinations. We need to have conversations so they know how to better manage those feelings, understand how to deal with those feelings, and then also understand, hey, if you act on these feelings, here's the list of things you could deal with. <laughs> That's how I'm going to tell my boys, not you're disgusting if you have any sexual thoughts. No, like you're actually very normal and that's a very normal thing to happen. Uh, However, if you choose to act on it, um, there's money involved, there's babies involved, there's another human involved, uh, potentially. I mean, there's just there's so many things that you're not ready for. uh, And that's how I'm going to have to pitch it to them, which is why. And once again, Christians cancel me. This is why I do not think. Uh, Christians should be shaming uh, protection for teenagers. Yeah. I'm not telling my kids to have sex. I'm saying if you're going to play with fire, at least have some protection, (laughs) you know? Wear some gloves. Wear some (laughs) gloves. Yeah. like Oven mitts. (laughs) Something. Yeah. If you're going to pull food out of the (laughs) oven, wear some oven gloves. Um, Not to say it's a good idea, but please just be safe. And I think we have to just... We got to get rid of the stigma. And I don't think the, you know, the hyper conservative um, evangelical world is doing our kids any favors. Sure. And I think it actually might be messing a lot of us up. And we can talk about that later if we get into like a religious trauma episode, which that'd be a good one. Um, because I think sexual religious trauma for a lot of people <laughs> messes a lot of people up. Yeah. Um, so any other thoughts, comments, concerns before we get done no, with this? No, no. All right. It's, you know, it's not an exhaustive conversation. You know, we didn't go through every single point you could ever mention, but I think it's a good start and hopefully it's a conversation starter. Uh, And hopefully, um, you know, I hope you didn't disagree with everything we said (laughs) today, but there's a chance you might have. But I do hope that people understand where we're coming from. Yeah. Um, It's it's not. I don't want to bash anybody over the head with these ideas, just like I don't want you to bash me over the head with your ideas. But I do want us to kind of look at this from a bigger picture and understand um, that sex is a good thing. It's something that should be celebrated in the right context, obviously. And uh, those who are not as uh, clean cut as some of us are or some others are uh, shouldn't be shamed and beat up about it. I think we're all dealing with this stuff uh, differently. And, and what we run the risk of doing is like what St. Augustine did, is running the concepts of God through our filters of sexuality and creating this very negative outlook. And it just passes down from generation to generation to generation Mm -hmm. to where they're literally a huge chunk of American Christians who believe that sex is the reason people are sinful. (laughs) That's built into a lot of people's theologies right now. So, um, yeah, I just think we got to be very careful and I think we have to be very open with these conversations because if not, I think we might be putting our young people at risk, not yeah. to mention all the 
trauma that comes with purity culture and all that. And maybe we'll do a part two. I know this is <laughs> going to be in two parts. We'll do a part two. We'll sit down and talk about purity culture next because I don't think we hit it too much. And I think it's a really fun conversation to have. Sure. So, anything else you got? No. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, I don't know how long this one was, but... Uh, sex pod. Sex pod. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out what we want to name it in a minute. <laughs> but uh, yeah, hope you guys have a good day. Uh, I'm going to go on vacation Woo-woo. and uh, go whitewater rafting and maybe spelunking. <laughs> Cave diving. I mean, we're not going to go diving. We're just going to go walk around in some <laughs> caves. But uh, yeah, I hope everybody has a good week. It's hot. Please stay warm and hydrated. Cool. cool. Yeah, stay cool. That's Don't what I meant. Stay Don't stay warm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I uh, hope you guys have a good week and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.